My name is Jill Honus, and it's a pleasure for me to fill in for the Perry family in reading the scripture this morning. If you would like, please turn with me to John chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. I'll be reading from the NIV. While you're turning there, I'll just tell you that this first part of the scripture describes Jesus starting out on the Mount of Olives and then takes him to the courts of the temple where he has a, an interaction. And I just want to share... I know that you've heard Greg tell stories about our trip to the Middle East this past December, and I have a different appreciation for where Jesus starts out, where he ends up, and what it might look like a little bit, although many years have changed the appearance of the location. The Mount of Olives, obviously a mountain with olive trees, but as you look across a valley where now there are a lot of grave sites, you can see the mount where the temple remains of it are, but where it used to be and where it was, uh, if you see the reconstructed diagrams of what the temple looked like is very glorious so Jesus starts out it seems very early and then takes a walk down this valley and then ends up in the temple courts so let's uh, join him there in chapter 8 verse 1 but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin... Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Thank you so much for for that reading, Jill. I I appreciated the context there. I can remember a time, it was summer, it was a hot day. And my friends and I went to play on a building site. Now, before I go any further, I ought to stress it's not a good idea to go playing on a building site. And you'll hear why in a moment. And so myself, Scott, Alan Williams, and Spencer Davidson, we went out on the the building site and started playing around. We were having a lot of fun climbing walls, going up the, the ladders into these new houses, these structures that were being built. And then we decided we had had enough, let's move on. So we were walking down this road. And we found these piles of discs. They were these red discs that were used to tie bricks to a wall. And somebody, I don't know who it was, grabbed one of those discs and threw it at somebody else. So they got it, and they threw it back, and then somebody else got one. And before we knew it, all this this war broke loose and ensued. Scott and I noticed that there was a mound over here of sand, and we went and ran behind there, and Alan and Spencer, they went on the other side, and we got there in our trenches ready for battle. Spencer and Alan started throwing things. First of all, it was discs. We threw them back. Then there came these plastic bottles that were just lying around that they they had thrown. But then nails started to come over. 
Scott and I were freaking out a little bit, and we thought, well, what can we find to throw? And so we looked around and we found over by where our mound of sand was that there was this big bag of open stones, stones that were used to, to dress the side of a driveway. So we went to those stones and we started and we thought, okay, throw nails at us, will you? Take a stone sandwich. And so we started throwing them towards them. They threw things back. We were only young. We were little kids. But even a little kid sometimes gets it right. And it was one of those throws I couldn't have pitched it better if I had tried. None of us had really hit each other significantly when we had been throwing up until that point. And as I let go of the stone, I knew that it had success written all over it until it hit Alan on the left temple. He screamed and he fell over on the floor. And he was crying and blood started to pour out of his head. So Scott and I stopped. We were doing, Alan, Alan, are you okay? And Spencer picked Alan up and all four of us walked back and took Alan home. I was staying with my nan at the time and there was a knock on the door and it was Spencer's dad. Now Spencer's dad was a bit creepy anyway, but he was even more scary because there was this story that he had chopped his toe off with a lawnmower, which he had. And that made it even, like, he was even more scary. He was way scary. And so I heard his voice, and I heard him demand some kind of discipline. And it was one of those days where your, your grandmother uses your full name. <laughs> now, when you came into to the church... You possibly had a stone like this. Would you lift it up if you, if you have a stone like this? Okay. Hold it in your hand. What does it feel like? Solid, hard. Um, yeah, jagged. It's got edges. A bit gnarly, and I don't mean in a good way. It's a bit rough. Don't you just want to throw it? Or, or, is, or is that a guy thing? <laughs> and you know, we read in our scripture, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. Jill gave us a, a beautiful description of what the Mount of Olives was like. You get this picture of Jesus sitting in the temple courts, teaching to this big group of people, this big crowd who gathered around him. When you read back through the book of John, you can see that Jesus is getting quite a reputation. He's getting quite a following. He had just earlier done the, this amazing miracle where he had fed 5,000 people. He was doing healings, miracles, and teaching. And you know, he was getting quite a following. 
But the religious leaders, they didn't like it. Whatever it was that he said, they didn't get along with. And so we read, and you can read back in the the preceding chapters, that people, the religious leaders, are trying to find a way to discredit him. They're trying to find a way of undoing this support. It even says that they wanted, that some wanted to kill him. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Have you ever been caught in the act? Think about it. Have you ever been busted? I remember, I remember a time I was 10 or 11 years old and I, I was stealing something from my mum. I can't quite remember what it was. But she took her shoe off and started to chase me around the house with her shoe. I think that's all you want to hear because it gets nasty. It's not pretty. But I remember feeling just caught. It was like, oh no, I've been caught. And I couldn't get out of it. I couldn't deny it. I couldn't do anything about it because I had been caught in the act. There was going to be some kind of retribution from my mum. And I knew it. And this woman is caught in the act of adultery. She's caught in this act. I don't know if they had posses of religious leaders, people who went round to try and catch people in adultery. But this woman was caught in the act of adultery. She couldn't argue with it. She had to face the consequences, whatever they would be. It's interesting that the religious leaders say, in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? You know, in Leviticus 20 verse 10 it says this, If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. There's nothing this woman can do. You know, at the time, Israel, the Jewish kingdom there, was under Roman rule. And under Roman rule, it was illegal for any Jewish court to put anybody to death. It was illegal. But that didn't stop the Jews from stoning people, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. It was a horrible thing, a stoning. If you were an eyewitness of a stoning, you had the right to get the largest rock or stone that you could find and throw it on the accused vital organs. If they didn't die from that initial stoning, the rest of the crowd who are normally there for a bit of fun, a a day out, they, 
they would then finish the job. It was horrible. So this lady couldn't do anything about it. Now, what I want to know is, where was her partner in crime? Did this adultery lynch mob, this posse that had caught her in the act, did he get away or, or did they, they let him go? When you start to think about it, it, it seems to get even worse than that. Because could she be a vulnerable person who has been set up? I mean, could she even have been, perished the thought, raped? Could she have been somebody who has been set up because they haven't found her partner in crime just to discredit, to find a way of putting Jesus in a bit of a bind? And I wonder this even more when I read this verse. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. To me, it seems like when you read through all of that dialogue, it's a setup. The question is how is Jesus going to respond? We carry on reading. But Jesus bent down. and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up, and he said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those Those ones who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. You know, this is classic Jesus. Only Jesus could do this. And you know, I've always wondered, and I always do when I read through this passage, what did he write down? What did he write there in the, in the sand? And many people have come up with many things as to what he has written down there, but I find it interesting that John, who wrote this book, he was there, he knew, and yet he doesn't tell us. Could it be because... That isn't the important thing that he wants to teach us. That isn't the thing that he wants us to walk away from this passage going, oh, I see, it was because Jesus read that. It's all about Jesus' response. From what Jesus has done, we see this. We see in Jesus' response. He wasn't against the law. They were trying to pick a fight with him, say he was against the law. He says, I'm not against the law. He wasn't opposed to her sin. That's another thing they wanted to to test him on. This is something they weren't expecting. He was merciful to the woman. And then finally, 
he actually condemned other people for judging her. One thing that we see when we read through the Gospels is that Jesus hated it when people judged others. Because he said when we we judge others, it's like we start to, to play God. We're actually standing in the place of God. And Jesus just wasn't happy with that. And so what we see in, from Jesus' response, we see something quite amazing, quite astounding. We see that Jesus is against the sin. We see that as Christians, we should make a stand against sinful behavior. But we also see that God's love even though God is mad about or God doesn't like the, the sin, the sin is overshadowed by God's love for the sinner. Because it, it was Jesus' whole mission to come and seek and save the lost. We find a really interesting thing now. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. You know, it's amazing to see that Jesus' whole life was about coming and seeking and saving the lost and bringing people to the place where where they could be the kind of people that they ultimately want to be and that, that he wants us to be. He says, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is the language of Jesus. And what he's saying here, he's using here the marketplace language of slavery. In the marketplace back in the day, in ancient times, if you ran up a debt, you couldn't really go bankrupt. But what you did is you gave your life into slavery. Whoever you owed the debt to, you would give your life in slavery to that person until you, you paid back that debt. Now, if somebody came and paid your debt, that was called the ransom price. And you would actually be redeemed from your debt. And you would be set free to live a life of freedom. You were no longer restricted as a slave. You were given rights and freedoms as a free man or woman. And so, Jesus says, this is what I'm here to do. This is the kind of thing that I've come to offer you. Jesus demonstrates in this story that the call to love is more important than the call to hate sin. 
And sadly, I've got to be honest, in my own experience, far too often I forget this fundamental fact. I look at people, size them up, pass judgment, and then begin to throw stones. A woman went to a therapist. She was having some marital problems. The therapist said, well, what's the problem? And the lady said, every time we fight, my husband gets historical. The therapist said, don't you mean hysterical? She said, no, every time we fight, he gets historical. And he lists all of the wrongs that I have done. You know, sadly... This is all too real. Having never learned the true meaning of forgiveness, many people destroy relationships by keeping a a record of the wrongs of others. And in so doing, they deprive themselves of the peace and freedom that comes through genuine forgiveness. Okay, let's have a, a look at the word to forgive. To to forgive means to release from liability. To absorb the punishment of a penalty. There are two words in the Greek, in the Bible, that, that talk about, that are translated forgive. The first is afiemi. Everybody say afiemi. You sound fluent. I'm impressed. Translated as forgive. And it means To let go, to release, or to remit. And it refers to debts that have been paid in full. Now, this next Greek word is a little, just a, un petit, more difficult. Charizomai. Can everyone say that? Charizomai. Very good. Very good. Translated as forgive. It means to bestow favor freely or unconditionally. It implies that forgiveness is undeserved and cannot be earned. You know, there is something about these words and their meanings. It tells us that forgiveness is a costly activity. When you cancel a debt, you know, it, it simply, it doesn't just simply disappear. Instead, you absorb a liability someone else deserves to pay. So forgiveness requires that we absorb certain effects of another person's sin and release them from the liability to punishment. We have to, when somebody wrongs us, if we are to truly forgive them, we are to absorb that wrong and release them from that wrong, from from our right to hold that wrong against them. And you know, this is precisely what Jesus accomplished for us at the cross. 
He secured our forgiveness by taking responsibility of our sins. And remembering what he did, remembering what he did to purchase our forgiveness is the greatest incentive that we have as Christians to release others from the penalties that they deserve. I want to tell you a a story about something that happened to me when when I was in college. It didn't directly happen to me, but, but it happened when I was at Newbold College. There were two guys that came over to spend the year there. They wanted to, to travel the world, Newbold College being in close to London in England. And there was one guy came over from Korea, the other guy came over from America. And they were placed together as roommates. They became great friends over the year, and as it went towards the end of the year, they decided... It was one Saturday night, they didn't have any planned, anything planned, so they decided they'd go into the town and, and they'd just have some fun. The one guy, the American guy, had bought uh, a car, a used car, for a couple of hundred dollars. He didn't have a, a legal license to drive it, he didn't have any insurance, but he had wheels. And so they drove into the town. They went to a pub. And they did what you call, what we call in Britain, a, a, a pub crawl. They went from one, crawl, one pub to another. They weren't crawl, crawling, but they were drinking as they went from pub to pub. Which, and sometimes when you drink, you end up crawling, but that's another story. And so they went on their pub crawl. And as they were coming back to, to Newbold, to the college there, they were within probably about two two or three hundred yards of the college. They were coming around this this one corner and the guy had had a little bit too much to drink and he misjudged the corner and veered off into this tree. They hit the tree and his friend died on impact. The following week, the father of the, the dead son came over from Korea to make preparations to sort the legal documentation and take his, his son back to Korea. And while he was there, he asked to meet with, with the American guy, with his son's friend. And instead of asking him, why did you do this, what did you do, etc., etc., He thanked him for being such a great friend to his son while he was at Newbold. He thanked him for the relationship that they had. He wasn't uh, a native. The Korean guy was learning English, and he had been a really good friend to him. And I can remember at the memorial service that they had for the Korean student, the father came up front and he said, When I came to this country, I came because I had lost a son. I didn't realize that I would be leaving with a new son. Forgiveness doesn't make sense. Forgiveness goes against the natural law 
an order of things, of cause and effect. You reap what you sow. Forgiveness is unfair. It's unjust. Forgiveness goes against society's expectations. The father had every right to say, I don't ever want to look at you, I don't want to talk to you, I don't want to hear your name mentioned, look at what you've done to my son. But he said, no, I consider you a son. And he reached out to him. He absorbed the, the sin, if you will, that he might have a relationship with him. And you know, this is exactly what God does for us. Take your stone out again. You know, Paul writes in Ephesians 5 and 4, 4.32 through 5.2. He said, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ... God forgave you. You know, that's when God forgets. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Squeeze that stone just a little bit. How does it feel? Feels hard? Kind of tough? It's, there's some, some bits on mine where I think if I did that a lot, I'd probably graze my thumb a, a little bit. A bit jagged edge on there. You know, one thing that I find amazing about stones is when somebody has, has wronged us, when somebody has, has wronged me, it can hurt. I can feel a lot of pain. And like this stone, it sort of feels hard, it feels cold. And it feels a bit of a, of a burden when I carry that, that pain when somebody has wronged me, when I carry that wrong, it's a, a bit of a, of a burden. And you know what? Sometimes I even feel like throwing it back in somebody's face so that they can feel the pain that they have caused me. But you know, we have a choice. We can carry that burden or we can drop it. We can absorb that wrong and give some release for that wrong in order that we can be at peace again so that we don't have to carry that burden. And you know, it's interesting that 
Jesus, by example, and Paul writes to us, do what I've done. I forget. I've absorbed. I want you to be like me. Let go of that stone. Drop it. Forgive. So that you don't have to carry that burden. So that you don't have to let that emotional energy dictate how you feel towards a certain person or situation. Drop that stone. To forgive means to release from liability, to absorb. And I think that one of the reasons that God tells us to do this is the longer that you hold a particularly coarse stone, it starts to rub your skin and cut it. It's unpleasant. And that's what happens to our hearts when we don't drop the stone, when we continue to hold someone liable. But God doesn't want us to have hard, calloused hearts. He wants them to be as soft as a baby's bottom. And I tell you, my, this is going to sound a bit weird, but my son's bottom is very soft. <laughs> and I want my heart to be that way too. God wants us to have soft hearts so that we can have peace and feel free, not weighed down, so that we can be like him. God may be speaking to some of you today. Some of us need to receive God's forgiveness. Some of us need to forgive others as God has forgiven us. And you know, both take a decision on your part. You can decide to carry the burden or you can drop it. And the choice is yours. Either way, you will, pay, you will pay the consequences. Can I ask you to do something? Over the course of this week, take your little stone with you. Put it in, in a pocket, perhaps in, in your pants or a jacket pocket. Put it in your purse. Maybe you could put it in your wallet. But carry it around with you so that when you look at it, you can be reminded of how much God loves you and how he has forgiven you. Your slate is clean. You're redeemed. You're safe. You're secure. You are loved by our God. And then look at it as a reminder that he also invites you to forgive others too. And just as he has been so kind and gracious and loving and accepting and patient with you, he invites you to be the same way to others. May God bless you as you seek to do this. May God bless you as you walk with him. Amen. May Jesus be in our 
minds and in our thinking. May Jesus be in our hearts and in our loving. May Jesus be in our eyes and in our seeing. May Jesus be on our lips and in our speaking. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you his peace, now and always. Amen.